0: Section 83 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. The World's Story, Volume 10: England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 83 THE STORY OF ST. PATRICK, FIFTH CENTURY, BY PATRICK WESTON JOYCE When Patrick was a boy of sixteen, he was, as we are told by himself in his writings, taken captive and brought to Ireland. This was about the year 403. He was sold as a slave to a certain rich man named Milco, who employed him to herd sheep and swine on the slopes of Slemish Mountain, in the present county Antrim, Here he spent six years of his life. If he felt at first heartbroken and miserably lonely, as no doubt he did, he soon recovered himself and made nothing of the hardships he endured on the bleak hillside. For in his solitude his mind was turned to God and every spare moment was given up to devotions. He tells us in his own earnest and beautiful words, I was daily employed tending flocks and I prayed frequently during the day. AND THE LOVE OF GOD WAS MORE AND MORE ENKINDLED IN MY HEART. MY FEAR AND FAITH WERE INCREASED, AND MY SPIRIT WAS STIRRED, SO MUCH SO THAT IN A SINGLE DAY I POURED OUT MY PRAYERS A HUNDRED TIMES, AND NEARLY AS OFTEN IN THE NIGHT. NAY, EVEN IN THE WOODS AND MOUNTAINS I REMAINED, AND ROSE BEFORE THE DAWN TO MY PRAYER IN FROST AND SNOW AND RAIN. NEITHER DID I SUFFER ANY INJURY FROM IT, NOR DID I YIELD TO ANY SLOTHFULNESS, Such I now experience, for the Spirit of the Lord was fervent within me. But he stood alone in the little world of light and holiness, for his master was a pagan, and though the people he mixed with were bright and lovable, they too were all pagans, grossly superstitious, but beyond that with little idea of religion of any kind. At the end of six years of slavery, Patrick escaped, and made his way through many hardships and dangers to his home and family. During his residence in Ireland he had become familiar with the language of the people, and the memory of the pagan darkness in which they lived haunted him day and night, so that he formed the resolution to devote his life to their conversion. His steadfast will was shown even at this early period by the manner in which he set about preparing himself for his noble work. He first studied with great diligence for about four years in the great monastic school of St. Martin of Tours, and subsequently under St. Germain of Auxerre for about the same length of time, after which he continued his preparations in an island near the Italian coast, and elsewhere, till he was ready to begin his mission. During all this time his thoughts were ever turning lovingly to Ireland, and he had dreams and visions about it. Once he dreamed, as he tells us, that a man from Ireland came to him and gave him a letter, which began with the words, The Voice of the Irish. Whilst I was reading the letter, he goes on to say, I imagined at the moment that I heard the voices of many, who were near the wood of Folclut, which is beside the western ocean, crying out as if with one voice, We entreat thee, O holy youth, to come and still walk amongst us and I was exceedingly afflicted in my heart and could read no more, but quickly awoke. Having received authority and benediction from Pope Celestine, he set out for Ireland. On his way through Gaul, news came of the death of Palladius, and as this left Ireland without a bishop, Patrick was consecrated bishop in Gaul by a certain holy prelate named Amator. Embarking for Ireland, he landed on the Wicklow coast, But having been expelled like his predecessor, he sailed northwards, and finally disembarked with his companions at Lacaille, in the present county down. Dico, the chief of the district, thinking they were pirates, hastily armed his followers and sallied forth to expel them. But when they appeared in view, he was so struck by their calm and dignified demeanor, that instead of attacking, he saluted them respectfully, and invited them to his house. Here Patrick announced his mission and explained his doctrine, and Dico and his whole family became Christians and were baptized, the first of the Irish converted by St. Patrick. As there was no church, the chief presented him with a saval, or barn, for divine service, on the site of which a monastery was subsequently erected in honor of the saint, which for many ages was held in great veneration. AND THE MEMORY OF THE HAPPY EVENT IS PRESERVED TO THIS DAY IN THE NAME OF THE LITTLE VILLAGE OF SAUL NEAR Downpatrick. HE REMAINED IN THIS NEIGHBORHOOD FOR SOME TIME, AND THE PEOPLE, FOLLOWING THE EXAMPLE OF THE CHIEF, LISTENED TO HIS PREACHING AND WERE BAPTIZED IN GREAT NUMBERS. ST. PATRICK ADOPTED FROM THE VERY BEGINNING A BOLD AND COURAGEOUS PLAN OF PREACHING THE GOSPEL IN IRELAND. HE ALWAYS MADE STRAIGHT FOR THE PALACES AND OTHER GREAT HOUSES and began by attempting to convert the kings and chiefs. He was well aware of the veneration of the clansmen for their ruling families, and he knew that once the king had become a Christian, the people would soon follow. He had experienced the success of this plan in Saul, and now he came to the bold resolution to go to Tara and present himself before King Lager and his court. Bidding farewell to his friend Daiko, he sailed southward to the mouth of the Boyne, whence he set out on foot for tara with his companions soon after leaving the boat night fell on them and they were hospitably entertained at the house of a chief whom the saint converted with his whole family one of the children a youth to whom patrick gave the name of benin or benignus from his gentle disposition became so attached to him that he insisted on going along with him next morning Thenceforward benin was patrick's constant companion and beloved disciple and after the death of his master he succeeded him as archbishop of armagh the saint and his little company arrived at the hill of Slane on easter eve a d 433 here he prepared to celebrate the festival and towards nightfall as was then the custom he lighted the paschal fire on the top of the hill it so happened that at this very time the king and his nobles were celebrating a festival of some kind at Tara, and the attendants were about to light a great fire on the hill, which was part of the ceremonial. Now there was a law that while this fire was burning, no other should be kindled in the country all round, on pain of death. And accordingly, when the king and his courtiers saw the fire ablaze on the hill of Slain, nine miles off, they were much astonished at such an open violation of the law, THE MONARCH INSTANTLY CALLED HIS DRUIDS AND QUESTIONED THEM ABOUT IT, AND THEY SAID, IF THAT FIRE WHICH WE NOW SEE BE NOT EXTINGUISHED TONIGHT, IT WILL NEVER BE EXTINGUISHED, BUT WILL OVERTOP ALL OUR FIRES, AND HE THAT HAS KINDLED IT WILL OVERTURN THY KINGDOM. WHEREUPON THE KING IN GREAT WRATH INSTANTLY SET OUT IN HIS CHARIOT WITH A SMALL RETINUE, NINE CHARIOTS IN ALL, AND HAVING ARRIVED NEAR slain, HE SUMMONED THE STRANGERS TO HIS PRESENCE. HE HAD COMMANDED THAT NONE SHOULD RISE UP TO SHOW THEM RESPECT. BUT WHEN THEY PRESENTED THEMSELVES, ONE OF THE COURTIERS, Eric, THE SON OF DAGO, STRUCK WITH THE SAINT'S COMMANDING APPEARANCE, ROSE FROM HIS SEAT, AND SALUTED HIM. THIS Eric WAS CONVERTED, AND BECAME AFTERWARDS BISHOP OF SLANE, AND TO THIS DAY THERE IS ON THE BANK OF THE BOYNE, NEAR SLANE, A LITTLE RUINED ORATORY CALLED FROM HIM, SAINT Eric's HERMITAGE. THE RESULT OF THIS INTERVIEW was what St. Patrick most earnestly desired. He was directed to appear next day at Tara and give an account of his proceedings before the assembled court. On the summit of the hill at Slane, at the spot where Patrick lighted his paschal fire, there are still the ruins of a monastery erected in commemoration of the event. The next day was Easter Sunday. Early in the morning, Patrick and his companions set out for the palace, and on their way they chanted a hymn in the native tongue an invocation for protection against the dangers and treachery by which they were beset, for they had heard that persons were lying in wait to slay them. This noble and beautiful hymn was long held in great veneration by the people of this country, and we still possess copies of it in a very old dialect of the Irish language. In the history of the spread of Christianity, it would be difficult to find a more singular and impressive scene than was presented at the court of King Luguerre on that memorable Easter morning. Patrick was robed in white, as were also his companions. He wore his mitre and carried his crozier in his hand, and when he presented himself before the assembly, Dubtha, Laguerre's chief poet, rose to welcome him, contrary to the express commands of the king. The saint, all aflame with zeal and unawed by the presence of king and court, explained to the assembly the leading points of the Christian doctrine and silenced the king's druids in argument. Dubtha became a convert, and thenceforward devoted his poetical talents to the service of God, and Laguerre gave permission to the strange missionaries to preach their doctrines throughout his dominions. The king himself, however, was not converted, and for the remaining thirty years of his life he remained an unbeliever, while the paganism of the whole country was rapidly going down before the fiery energy of the great missionary patrick next proceeded to tyleton where during the celebration of the national games he preached for a week to the assembled multitudes making many converts among whom was conal gulban brother to king laguerre the ancestor of the o'donnells of tyrconnell we find him soon afterwards making for the plain where stood the great national idol Crom Cruach, with the twelve lesser idols all of which he destroyed about the year four thirty eight With the concurrence of King Laguerre, he undertook the task of revising the Brehon Law. He was aided by eight others, among them King Laguerre himself, and at the end of three years this committee of nine produced a new code, free from all pagan customs and ordinances, which was ever after known as Cain Patrick, or Patrick's Law. This law-book, which is also called Sancus More, has been lately translated and published. In his journey through Connaught, he met the two daughters of King Lager, Ethnia the Fair and Fidelma the Ruddy, near the palace of Crogan, where they lived at that time in fosterage with their two druid tutors. They had come out one morning, at sunrise, to wash their hands in a certain spring well, as was their custom, and were greatly astonished to find Patrick and his companions at the well, with books in their hands, chanting a hymn. Having never seen persons in that garb before, the virgins thought at first that they were beings from the she, or fairy hills. But when the first surprise was over, they fell into conversation with them, and inquired whence they had come. And Patrick gently replied, It were better for you to confess to our true God than to inquire concerning our race. They eagerly asked many questions about God, His dwelling-place, whether in the sea, in rivers, in mountainous places or in valleys, how knowledge of him was to be obtained, how he was to be found, seen, and loved, with other inquiries of a like nature. The saint answered all their questions and explained the leading points of the faith, and the virgins were immediately baptized and consecrated to the service of religion. On the approach of Lent, he retired to the mountain which has ever since borne his name, Croag Patrick, or Patrick's Hill, where he spent some time in fasting and prayer. About this time, A.D. 449, the seven sons of Amalgade, king of Connaught, were holding a meeting in Tyrolia, to which Patrick repaired. He expounded his doctrines to the wondering assembly, and the seven princes with 12,000 persons were baptized. After spending seven years in Connaught, he visited successively Ulster, Leinster, and Munster, in each of which he preached for several years. Soon after entering Leinster, he converted, at the palace beside Noss, where the Leinster kings then resided, the two princes Elan and Oleol, sons of King Dunling, who both afterwards succeeded to the throne of their father. And at Cashel, the seat of the kings of Munster, he was met by the king Angus, the son of Natfri, who conducted him into the palace on the rock with the greatest reverence, and was at once baptized. Wherever St. Patrick went, he founded churches, and left them in charge of his disciples. In his various journeys, he encountered many dangers, and met with numerous temporary repulses. But his courage and resolution never wavered, and success attended his efforts in almost every part of his wonderful career. He founded the Sea of Armagh about the year 455, and made it the head sea of all Ireland. The greater part of the country was now filled with Christians and with churches, and the mission of the venerable apostle was drawing to a close. He was seized with his death illness in Saul, the scene of his first triumph, and he breathed his last on the 17th of March, in or about the year 465, in the 78th year of his age. The news of his death was the signal for universal mourning. From the remotest districts of the island, clergy and laity turned their steps towards the little village of Saul to pay the last tribute of love and respect to their great master. They celebrated the obsequies for twelve days and nights without interruption, joining in the ceremonies as they arrived in succession, and in the language of one of his biographers the blaze of myriads of torches made the whole time appear like one continuous day. He was buried with great solemnity at Dundelethglas, the old residence of the princes of Ulidia, and the name, in the altered form of Don Patrick, commemorates to all time the saint's place of interment. End of section 83.